You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Emotional investing minefields. What are they and why can they be financially devastating? Today we will find out how to navigate through the emotional investment minefield. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Shirley Muller, a board-certified neurologist and psychiatrist. After retiring from medicine, she worked in the investment industry and then founded MyMoneyMD.com. MyMoneyMD is designed to provide investment education to physicians. Dr. Muller, welcome to the show. Thank you. What are these emotional investing minefields that you're talking about? There are three that we'll talk about today. The most important one probably for physicians is one that is unique in doctors, at least among middle-aged and older physicians, and it's something called the celebrity doctor. Another area we'll talk about is the risk-seeking personality, and the last is the propensity to favor optimism over realism when a monetary reward is anticipated. The latter two, the risk-seeking personality and the optimism over realism, can be found among the general population as well as doctors. Tell me a little bit more about this celebrity status investor. Why why are physicians known as that? Well, some years ago, a study by Baylor, Beal, and Kaiser Communications Group divided investors into five categories depending on their investing characteristics. The category that physicians most often fell into was called celebrity. These are people who are very busy. They don't have time to do investment research, The natural conclusion of this is that they're lacking well-thought-out ideas about how to handle their own investments. Therefore, they latch onto whatever hot topic they are exposed to through the media, whether it's radio, television, or newspaper. They often take hot tips and act on them. Not only are doctors in this category, but entertainment personalities as well. It sounds to me that it's not a very good category to be in if we're latching onto every hot tip that's out there that that someone mentions in the doctor's lounge and we call our brokers and tell them to buy it immediately without ever investigating it further. You're absolutely right. Doctors and celebrities are vulnerable to the golden-tongued salesman who's skillful at polishing a worm-infested apple so that it has a shiny exterior and it appeals to the potential or existing client, but it's rotten inside. In other words, the benefits of the deal are more apparent than real or of the investment. Some insurance salesmen, stockbrokers, and financial advisors fall into this devious group that can bring ruin to a physician client. Dr. Muller, what other reasons do doctors kind of fall into this vulnerable category of celebrity investing? What makes a physician particularly vulnerable is his adulation from patients and sometimes from those in the ancillary medical fields. And that's why I think perhaps the older and middle-aged physicians are more vulnerable because In medicine today, the last 10 years or so, I think physicians are less revered. But earlier, 10-plus years ago, physicians were in a special category and still above the general populace in esteem. Now, this praise may be warranted for medical skill, but investing is quite another thing. Right. It doesn't necessarily translate. Absolutely. But it's only a human to assume that we're more accomplished than we really are. There's an old expression that says, Try and make a living in your office instead of a killing in the market. That's a good expression. Very good. Not only physicians, but all people tend to think they're better than average at doing almost every task they're questioned about, even though statistically it's impossible. For example, a group of architects, and everybody would say architects are smart people, they've had a lot of training, but when they were asked to estimate their return in their pension plans in the previous years, they recalled their investment performance as 6% higher than it actually was. And they estimated that they beat the market by 5% more than they actually had. So 
people think they do better than they do. And I could repeat study after study after study. This is just very routine. So we, we have an inflated image of reality. I would see how that would definitely pose a problem for the physician financially. Right. A physician or anyone who has more confidence that is warranted regarding investing is a person who's a setup for losses. And this is because an overconfident investor thinks he can beat the market because he can pick stocks that are winners. Therefore, he overtrades. Barbara and Odine from the University of California, Davis, showed that men overall make less money in the stock market than women because they buy and sell stock more often. And the researchers attributed this male characteristic to overconfidence. If this happens to a physician, his hard-earned cash is dissipated, not by the lawsuit that's always a threat and that he thought might even happen to him, but by the MD's excessive manipulation of his own stock portfolio. I've also heard the expression, you know, that traders die penniless. So it is really better to stop trading, buy some good positions, and hold on to them. And it sounds like women are more pragmatic when it comes to that. Exactly. And I believe this relates to our origin. A long time ago, women had to be even more fearful than men and more cautious because we were the weaker sex. So we learned to look at all possibilities before making choices. We were more likely to, or we more likely to is what I really mean to say on average. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Shirley Muller. She's the founder and CEO of MyMoneyMD.com, and we're talking about potential emotional minefields while investing in the market. Dr. Muller, how about a real-life example? Well, this happened to me a few years ago. I was in St. Petersburg, Florida, on vacation in the winter, and I was catching my plane home, and the plane was very late. And while I was in the airport, I saw a friend of mine who was a doctor. He was there with his wife, also going home from Florida, where he had vacationed. He had his investment account at Schwab, where I was working at the time, though my job didn't come up in our conversation. What did arise, though, were his investments, and he told me clearly in no uncertain terms how much money he was making in initial public public offerings at Schwab. So was this was this in the 90s? Was this in the 80s? In the early 2000s. Okay. So it was right before everything came to a crash. Right. Okay. And this was interesting to me on several levels. One was that he appeared to be a celebrity doctor who gravitated toward hot prospects, and this is because IPOs generally make significant money for investors only if they can buy them before they're offered on the secondary market. And that can be a difficult position to be in because the favored clients only are allowed to do that in investment firms. But it could have been true for my doctor acquaintance because he did have considerable assets, but it couldn't have been correct at Schwab. And I knew that because the company didn't offer IPOs at that point in time. I was working there, and it was something that was being considered but had not yet been decided on. And so he was wrong on at least one point there. And I think that what he was suffering from was something called cognitive dissonance, which is a fancy psychological term that means your brain ignores or lessens negative information and fixates on the positive, what you want to think of yourself or what you want to think of your trading. For example, cocktail parties, all the... Many physicians generally like to talk about how well they're, they're doing in the market. And the brain exhibits cognitive dissonance to preserve our self-image. It's protective. Yes, the, it makes me think of the expression, the lady doth protest too much. Anytime a doctor is touting his own horn, it's usually 
It's the opposite. You know, someone who's secure with their financial wealth and doing well doesn't have to share it with the whole world. Exactly. In fact, may not even want the whole world to know it. Right. You you talked a little bit about IPOs. And historically, I think if I, as a physician and a small-time investor, can get an IPO, that means it's not a hot IPO because it goes, you know, the IPOs go where the money is. They get allocated to the guys with huge positions. So I should probably stay away from it if I'm offered an IPO because it's kind of the dregs are left for the guys like me. That's very insightful. And another area where physicians want to be very careful or stay away from is where the deal that's being offered, let's say it's a private equity offering, and all the people that it's being offered to are physicians. That means automatically a red flag. This is probably not going to be good because if it were being offered to accountants and lawyers, that'd be another thing. But physicians are an easy target. And in fact, in one of my training programs, Physicians were referred to as gold-plated doctors. And I was so offended, but there was little I could do. It gave me some insight into how we are looked at by the investment community. Is it changing at all? Are we getting any smarter, or are we still just looked at as this potential gold field for money managers and stockbrokers? Well, some recent experience suggest to me that at least there is a lot of the concept of the gold-plated doctor out there without giving specifics. I know that some pension plans that are offered to doctors are weighted toward the company that's offering them rather than the doctor. The expenses are so high, but this is pretty widely written about. So, Ten years ago, I used to get called probably every day at the office from, from another investment house, and that's stopped. So that's kind of nice. That's good. Yeah. You may still get letters, however. Yeah, I still get stuff, and I still get emails, and but everybody, I think, gets those emails. So tell me about another minefield that physicians should be wary of. Well, risk-taking behavior also jeopardizes portfolio returns. And though this behavior is not specific to physicians, it's found in doctors just like the general population. In medicine, there are two personality types that have been studied, the risk-seeking and the risk-averse. And to give a, a clinical example published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine, physicians who were personal risk-seekers by psychological examination admitted 31% of patients with acute chest pain into the hospital. But risk-averse physicians admitted 53% of patients with similar symptoms. So... The conclusion is that risk-seeking physicians take chances with their patients that more conservative physicians would not. Wow, that's pretty wild that that our our risk tolerance actually filters over into who gets admitted to the hospital. That's that's an amazing study. It is, and it's just an example of how this trait permeates every area of our, our life. I know a physician who would rarely admit patients at risk in the ER, thereby put both himself and his patients at risk. So that if you were a stockbroker, you would go after that guy and be able to sell him everything under the sun. Right. He would be an ideal client. That's a, It would be interesting data to sell to the investment world. So it sounds to me that this Dr. H, and we'll leave letters out of it for HIPAA reasons, has probably some organic reason for his behavior. It could be true. Individuals who are prone to risk-taking behavior are stimulating their pleasure centers and nucleus accumbens when they make these perilous financial choices. And activation in the nucleus accumbens is associated with a positive anticipatory effective state, which makes the investor feel good. And geneticist Kenneth Bloom and David Cummings labeled this drive for excessive risk, thereby feeding the nucleus accumbens, as the reward deficiency syndrome. 
and they found that people with this condition are unable to get sufficient satisfaction from the usual rewards in life and need to up the ante. The geneticists identified a variation of a normal gene that prevents dopamine from binding to cells in the reward pathway. Therefore, the satisfaction usually felt with the release of dopamine is diminished and must constantly be reinforced. And one way to do this is just to take excessive risk. Sounds like the little rat sitting in the cage kind of tapping on the the bar that would deliver either food pellets, and I think they did the same studies with cocaine, where, where the rat would just take cocaine over food and just die, basically, just kind of pleasuring their their pleasure center. I know. I I thought that was a remarkable study, that to get pleasure, those rats would push on that lever so much that they just die. On that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Shirley Muller of MyMoneyMD.com for coming on the show. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thanks for listening.